the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual, organisation or entity in 2024. From senators, congressmen, please heed the call. Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall. For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled. The battle outside raging will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls. For the times they are changing. Happy New Year, Adam. Happy New Year to you, Roger. And so far, the new year seems to be going all right for me so far. I know that at the end of last year, I ended up unemployed, so we're not going to mention much about that this year. I'm hoping to go onwards and upwards now. And it seems to be that way with my park run. I did a New Year's Day park run, came first on that. I got 19.53. That was at Harton Park, and I did Harton Park again today. Not quite as good time, but they made the car slightly longer because there was some mud, so went a little bit of a longer way around, but I still managed to get 20.11, and again, I came first. So that is two runs in a row now that I've came first, and I think it's three Heart and Park runs, because obviously I go to many different ones, but three Heart and Park runs that I've actually been first in a row, so that one seems to be getting a bit easier for me. We're looking ahead to the new year, because I remember last week, we were discussing how our predictions went last year, so let's hope Roger can do a bit better this year, and I'm sure Roger will be hoping that I do a little bit worse so that you do better on the predictions this year. No, I hope we both do well as ever, Adam. And it is a pleasure to be here, seeing you in person for the first time in the new year. Happy New Year to all of our listeners, and thanks again for listening to us. We are really excited about this week's show because we do spend a lot of time predicting and getting ready to make predictions and looking back on them. So this is a big one, isn't it, Adam? It certainly is. And it's likely that we might be heading into an election year in, in about our predictions later. But just want to say the best way for listeners to start their new year is by dropping us an email at breakthenewspod at gmail.com and sharing any predictions that they've got with us. We promise if we get an email, we'll feature them on the show and review your predictions next year so why not join in and share one with us yeah i absolutely agree and it is the 6th of january 2024 before we do get into adam can i ask you how you brought in the new year question i was in my bed surprisingly though got woken up i think it was about 20 past 11 by some fireworks but then I managed to get back to sleep and they didn't actually wake me up at midnight this time. So I managed to sleep quite through. But I think that's because the previous nights I'd have very, very terrible night sleeps because of my cold. So I actually didn't do too bad this year. Generally, I always get woken up when there's fireworks in the middle of the night. But yeah, I spent the night sleeping because I was getting ready for my New Year park run the next day. And I brought in with a park run, like I said, and I managed to get 19.53, which is only two seconds slower than my previous PB there. I'm glad that your sleep paid off. I spent it on the couch with my wife and kids, as we usually do, watching Big Ben's bongs on the TV. They were a bit disappointing, actually. The, the fireworks and everything were really good, and the drone show and everything, but it was very London-centric. I don't know if you've seen much of it on the news. It doesn't really interest me, so I haven't really watched it or paid attention to it. Well, apparently this thing cost £3 million, but it started with a thing that said, The Mayor of London Presents. And I thought, well, if the Mayor of London presents it, you'd think that he'd have paid for it himself, but he hasn't. He's paid for it with taxpayers' money, so... That's a bit cheeky for a start. Yeah, that Sadiq can does not get up to much good. And I don't know when the next mayoral elections are. I should know, but I know there's a few by-elections. I know there's one in about a month and there's going to be another one as well now because another MP stepped down. So it looks like the Conservatives may be in a bit of trouble. Mm, I've been back to work this week, but it's not been too bad. I enjoy my job, so returning to work isn't so bad. Seeing my kids go back to school and get back in the routine has been good, but I want to wish my oldest daughter the best of luck this week because by the time this goes out, she'll be off on her 
residential. She's going to Woolswater for a week. Oh, sounds good. It's probably going to be minus temperatures as well this week. Is that week. your younger daughter? Is that your older one? That one My oldest one, who's yeah. 12, yeah. Yeah, so is it five days then? Yep, five days. She'll be camping on the side of a mountain and walking up waterfalls and canoeing and building her own boats and climbing up trees and all sorts. It's going to be a great week for her, but I'll miss her. <laughs> yep, I'm sure you will. And one thing that you won't miss is the podcast, because obviously we're back to normal now. But I do have some rather concerning news to start off with, which has barely been talked about much in the media, actually think it's because it's new year i don't think the world want to talk about the really dirty stuff but i've happily come out and picked it out so i've actually dug deeper in the news than what much of mainstream media have so since the hamas attack on israel on the october the 7th there has been a 12-fold increase in hateful social media content reported to the uk's counter-terrorism internet referral unit the unit has shifted its focus from isis propaganda to assessing whether extreme social media posts violate anti-terror laws they've received over 2700 referrals mainly related to anti-semitic content posted by young britons the rise is attributed to algorithms exposing individuals to extremist ideas. Not sure I agree with that. But team reviews posts for potential breaches of terrorism laws with a particular focus on those supporting Hamas or glorifying acts of terror. Social media platforms like TikTok, X and Meta have cooperated in removing extreme content, but borderline posts pose a challenge. The team has identified 630 cases possibly breaching terror or hate crime laws, with 150 passed for further investigation. The issue highlights concerns about algorithms contributed to the online climate of hate impacting public discourse and potentially leading to radicalisation. Now, do you think this is algorithms' fault or do you think this is the people's fault? I think it's culture's fault. I agree. Because the algorithms lead people down rabbit holes which emphasise and eventually radicalise whatever position they've got. So the world is becoming more and more binary. Yeah, and I think one of the problems is the algorithms often promote the content which they see as the most popular. So if that content's the most popular, like in support of Hamas, then the algorithms are undeniably going to promote that sort of content. So I don't think we can necessarily blame the algorithms here. It's based on the things that people are posting, I believe. I think people are responsible for themselves and what they look at. Yes, the algorithm puts content in front of you, but you have a choice as to whether you click it or not, and you have a choice as to whether you seek out an opposing view. Yes, and you also have a choice on whether you like the content or not. If you tap the like button, then the social media company knows that, oh, you like this content, you want more of it. And they'll send you more extreme forms of that content, which is why I think people are getting more and more extreme in their opinions. Yes, and obviously if they get a lot of likes in that content, the algorithm will share it to more people because they know that the content's increasingly popular. Charlie Brooker once described Twitter as the greatest video game of all time. And in a sense, he's right, because what the internet has done, starting with Twitter, is gamify people's opinions. Because now if you have an opinion, you get a score for that. You know, every like is like a point on your scoreboard and those likes make you feel good and feel validated. Yes, a lot of people think that way. I mean, we evidently don't because, you know, 137 shows with less than a 1,000 listens. We're obviously not too influenced by likes and things like that. Are we, Adam? No, haven't we done more of a catch-up than anything, although we still edited the podcast, so we're still actually putting in quite a bit of work to it. But I do think if we did rant extreme opinions on here, well, A, we'd get into trouble, but B, we probably would get a lot more listeners... 
and C, would probably also get the podcast taken down. Mm, eventually. Then we wouldn't be true to ourselves either because that's not the kind of guys we are either. I like to think we're both reasonable, thoughtful, kind people. Ah, um, but the laws are sometimes a little bit stringy on the stuff that they allow people to post, and that's why we've debated freedom of expression plenty of times on this podcast. Absolutely. I think a lot of people are more extreme in their opinions on the internet as well because they can hide behind anonymity and they can experiment with opinions a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, and I've noticed sometimes how people behave online is different to how they behave in person. Yeah. If you want to experiment with a viewpoint and see how people react to it, then you can make up a fake name, put it on a social media site, see what people say. And I think that is something that a lot of people do. Some people probably do it just for a laugh. You know, the trolls. Yeah. So I think sometimes you have to be aware that people amplify their opinions online, people troll online. And I suppose it's a bit like when someone's drunk, if someone's online, are they expressing their true opinion or are they just because they're online or are they just behaving differently because they're in a different situation? It's hard to tell. That is very true, yes. When people are drunk, they're more likely to say things. And that often leads to arrests, unfortunately, as well. But this is it, though. When someone is drunk, like they might say, right, I'm going to tell you what I really mean, what I really want to say. And sometimes that's hard to decide. Is that what that person really thinks now? Have I had an insight into their hidden mind? Or is it just because they're drunk? Mm. <laughs> and then you could get drunk online and it'd probably get even worse. <laughs> I, I remember having to clean up some right messes my dad made. Online? Oh, yeah, but that's definitely another story. You're <laughs> definitely story probably not going to talk about it on the no, definitely... You don't want to back out there, do you? No, that's definitely another story for another time and another podcast. Well, one of the things that I have seen extreme opinions about, particularly across the pond in the US, is the Jeffrey Epstein list. Epstein or Epstein? I'm going to go with Epstein because... As I was explaining to you before we started recording, Adam, Jeffrey Epstein was quite a high-up, high-regarded paedophile in the US. He owned an island where lots of bad things went on, and he allegedly killed himself in prison, but this is disputed by a lot of American so-called conspiracy theorists. So it's all very unknown, but the investigation into Jeffrey Epstein and his island and who was on it and what was going on on it do continue. And some 60 of 250 previously sealed documents relating to the late sex offender, Jeffrey Epstein, have been released by a US court. After the judge ruled they could be unsealed in December and no objections were made, the first set of court papers were published on the 3rd of January. They largely consist of legal arguments and interviewed carried out Virginia Guffrey's 2015 civil lawsuit against Epstein's former lover, Ghislaine Maxwell, who was sentenced to 20 years in prison for recruiting and grooming girls for him. Here we look at some of the most well-known names in the newly released documents. So one of the names is Michael Jackson. Now, just because these names are on the list doesn't mean that necessarily that they've done anything wrong, as we'll go into. So... When Mrs. Showbird was asked in evidence, did you ever meet anybody famous when you were with Jeffrey? She replied, I met Michael Jackson, his house in Palm Beach. But when asked if she massaged him, as she alleges she was forced to do with Epstein and other people, she responded that I didn't. Another name is Donald Trump. The former US president was pictured socialising with Epstein and Maxwell and the pair of thoughts were being friends. Asked in her evidence if she ever massaged him on Maxwell's request, she said... No, she later says that on one occasion she was on a plane with the pair and Virginia Guffrey, which was told it could not land as expected in New York. Instead, it was diverted to Atlantic City, where Trump had a casino. And Jeffrey Epstein said, great, we'll call up Trump and we'll go to the casino. Bill Clinton on the list, suspected. President Bill Clinton on his last day in office on 20th of January 2001. A spokesman for Clinton said in 2019 that he knows nothing of Epstein's terrible crimes and cut off all contact with him after he was first arrested in 2005. Quizzed if Epstein ever talked about Clinton, Schauberg replied, he said one time that Clinton likes them young, referring to girls. So a potential suspicion for Bill Clinton there. Stephen Hawking, the late physicist, was photographed on Epstein's Caribbean island in March. You know, the um, wheelchair guy who has the robotic voice. 
don't think I do. No. But he was on the island in 2006 as part of a science conference, which was paid for by Epstein and saw 20 other scientists attend. But, like the others, really, there's no accusation or evidence of any wrongdoing by Mr Hawking. Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett and Bruce Willis. Schoberg said that she recalls Epstein being on the phone to them or saying he was on the phone to them. An interesting one for us is Prince Andrew. Miss mm. Soberg's evidence says Prince Andrew touched her breast while on the sofa at Epstein's New York mansion in 2001 while she was underage. Well, he, Maxwell and Miss Guffrey were there. The Duke of York and Buckingham Palace, of course, strongly deny this. There's Harvey Weinstein, who's a Hollywood producer, and his wife, Abigail Wexner. Weinstein has already been disgraced and is currently in jail for rape and sexual assaults. And last of all although there are many other names as well. We've got the magician David Copperfield. In some documents, Miss Schaubert claims that illusionist David Copperfield was a friend of Epstein and performed magic tricks at the house. And he once questioned if he was aware that girls were getting paid to find other girls, but he didn't go into any further specifics. So a lot of names being bandied about there, but actually, when you look into it, not much evidence. What do you think, Adam? I don't know. They're quite famous names, these, aren't they? That I've met, like Bill Tim. Clinton, Donald Trump. Prince Andrew, yeah. Other names on the list have included Beyonce, very famous American singer. don't know if you know who Beyonce is, but she's massive. So it's all quite grubby, and it's resulting in a lot of accusations and outrage, but so far it seems very thin on evidence. I mean, this one witness who's going through the names here, most of them she's saying actually they probably didn't do anything wrong, like Donald Trump, for example. Does it show a recording of how she said these things? She said them in court. Did she look embarrassed when she said these things? I don't know, because this is just documents or, like, you know, transcripts of what she said. So I don't know if there's video Because the way in which someone just says no... Uh, she might just be saying no because they're embarrassed because that's a very quick way of saying that. Yeah, and it takes a lot of guts to go to court and testify if you have been a victim of one of these things. And so, you've got to remember, I believe all the courts are public as well in the United States as well, aren't they? So it'll probably be broadcast to everyone. I think most of them are, yeah. These might have just been investigations, though. Mm. Well, it says she spoke to a judge, so I assume it would have been in court. But, like I said, a lot of outrage and speculation has happened online, fuelled by this list. But when you actually look into it, it's actually very thin evidence. So I'd be surprised if we see anyone go to jail for this. Like I've said, the big one for us in the UK is Prince Andrew. That's one of the late Queen's children. So if he's been a pedo, then that is very serious business and he should face justice for that in my opinion yeah and that'll also lead to more criticisms of the royal family as well if that's the case there is a theory in america that jeffrey epstein didn't actually kill himself because he would be able to provide evidence against a lot of these high profile paedophiles you know who are also politicians and celebrities I don't know about that. It could be plausible. It may not be. Again, though, you have to look at evidence, and sadly, there isn't much there. But it is a bit of an interesting story that Epstein in this high-security prison had two guards who were asleep, and the CCTV in his cell just so happened not to be working that night. Mm. It's all very, very dodgy and strange, but until there's evidence, there's not much we can do. Yeah, and... Yes, it sounds like she really did like famous people, if that was the case. Well, his wife, who helped him traffic, and Ghislaine Maxwell, is still in prison, but she's not saying anything. She's keeping her mouth shut, which is probably a very smart move on her part, although she'll rot in prison for a long time, rightfully so. Yeah, and talking about evidence... Has Richie Sunak got evidence to back up this claim that he made this week? So Richie Sunak claimed success in clearing the asylum backlog, stating that over 112,000 cases were resolved last year with 51,469 asylum claims granted. This record-breaking figure is the highest since 1984. Sunak emphasises cost savings and improved support for the vulnerable. However, critics, including Nigel Farage and Labour's Shadow Immigration Minister Stephen Ninnett, challenged the government's 
assertions. Farage accuses the Conservatives of failing and rushing through 50,000 new applications. Kinnock argues that the backlog has surged to 165,000, eight times higher than under Labour, and criticises Sunak's broken promise to end asylum hotel use, costing over £2 billion annually. So Sunak claims he's cleared this. Do you believe him? I do, because it's very easy to clear the list if you just grant every application straight away. Easy peasy. It wouldn't surprise me if he's done that just to meet whatever slippery target he's set for himself. But but then when he was questioned, his response sounded like he hasn't, and it sounded like some claims were still getting investigated anyway, so it sounds like he's said something and then ruled back on it. We know how slippery Sunak is with figures and vagueness, and I'm sure he can pull out statistics to prove he's met all of his pledges that he made. I can't wait to see how he explains that he's stopped the boats and things well, that's like that. <laughs> what politicians are good at pulling out statistics, making predictions. Like, for example, my predictions last year, because they were so vague, I did really well. Sunak was in the news this week and so was Starmer because they were gearing up for elections. But Sunak has said, you know, there's probably not going to be one in the first half of this year. Yes, he said he's planning on having one in the second. That's the working assumption. More on that later, I think. Yes. So you've got some news regarding the council in which we live in because it's been a bad news week for us in Bradford. Yeah, turning to local matters. This podcast does emanate from Bradford. You're Bradford born and bred, aren't you? Yes, and you live here. Yeah, I'm an honorary Bradfordian. I've lived here for 18 years now. The majority of my life, I've got a wife and three kids here. So I consider myself an adopted Bradfordian now. But Um, you weren't too far away, just over the Pennines, is it? Yeah, I hail from Rochdale. Not too dissimilar from Bradford. Their council has been just as disastrous in other ways. But Bradford Council... I've had a very bad week. We mentioned on the previous podcast that they were effectively about to declare bankruptcy. But Susan Hinchcliffe and her cronies have got a plan to try and avoid this. And it's not good. More than 100 council staff in Bradford are set to lose their jobs as part of a huge package of cutbacks, the BBC has been told. The redundancies are part of a three-year, £40 million cost-cutting programme detailed by the council on Wednesday. By the way, this comes at the same time as Bradford is supposed to be the UK city of culture next year. So as well as the 113 proposed job cuts, and by the way, none of those job cuts are on the chief exec of Bradford Council. Three waste tips at Ford Hill in Queensbury, Sugden End at Crossroads and Golden Butts in Ilkley will close. So you'll have to find a different tip there, Adam. And what will affect me a lot more as as an educator is that the council-owned Ingleborough Hall Children's Recreational Centre in the Yorkshire Dales is also set to shut. So without going into my work too much, I've worked with Ingleborough Hall a lot and been on many residentials at Ingleborough Hall. And if that facility stops doing school residentials, it's going to be a disaster. Ratepayers are also likely to see council tax bills rise again by almost 5%. So you're paying more for less. Yeah. Council leader Susan Hinchcliffe said stuff, but who gives a shit about what she has to say? People do, actually. Because people have been asking about the Queensbury tip on Facebook and I was talking about how the council had mismanaged the money and then people go and blame the government for this failure even when the council have got all the roadworks in the city centre. A department for levelling up housing and community spokesperson said since the council wrote to us requesting exceptional financial support we've been engaging regularly with them on their request. We stand ready to speak to any council that has concerns about its ability to manage its finances or faces pressures it had not planned for. Maybe the Bradford Council should have spoken to the department for levelling up earlier. Unison, which represents council staff, urged the authority to hold fire on the measures until after the next general election, which is due to take place this year. Regional organiser Michael Parkinson said central government was to blame for gouging money from local councils. Like other councils across the country, Bradford has already seen staff levels slashed, 
but these services can't run on thin air, he said. Communities rely on the council to provide vital services and they'll be the ones who suffer from this restructure. What do you think, Adam? I think we knew this was going to happen with that amount of money that's being wasted in the city centre, left, right and centre, all for this city of culture bid. And I've kept saying changing the design will not change people's behaviour. But yet, they cut back on all this stuff, but they're not cutting back on the city centre stuff. No, and they're not cutting back on council execs. They're not sacking any of them. I bet they're not reducing their wages. No, so why are the roadworks still going ahead in the city centre? But yet, these essential services, these tips that they're closing, are an absolute disgrace. It's going to lead to more fly tipping. That'll increase more rats and rodents within the city centre. This is an absolute disgrace, what this council have done. And disposing of that fly tipping and those rats and rodents will cost more than the tips in the first place. Yes, and also the council can actually make some money out of these tips because they can sell off some of the waste that's actually delivered to them. So really, they're making things worse than what they already are. Exactly. In the long term, they're probably making it even worse. And stuff like shutting Ingleborough Hall, that is just a punch in the face to other underprivileged, poverty-stricken youth of Bradford who rely on that facility for an outdoor residential experience that schools can afford. And that has now been that once-in-a-lifetime experience is in danger of being taken away from schools It's unforgivable. And they've done it just so they can raise a quick buck, so they can raise 40 million. I wish that there were mobs outside City Hall waving placards saying, resign, resign, resign. If I had a chance to speak with any of these people, that would be the only word that would come out of my mouth. I want them gone. But this is what infuriates me the most, Adam. Local elections are coming up, but because people vote for parties, not politics they're all going to get back in. Yeah, and they might even get in bigger than ever because of the national picture. And also, not just that, Labour are actually blaming this on the government. They're saying that they've reduced funding. No, they haven't reduced funding. Well, they might have done in terms of inflation terms because obviously everything's gone up, but they haven't actually cut funding. So that's a lie. Where the real money's being wasted is on those city centre roadworks. They're also building a new Dallas Street market, whilst at the same time they're going to knock down Kergate and the Ulster Centre and that big office block in the city centre. What a waste of money that is. It just seems that people just don't get it's Labour's fault, but yet they're voting them in. And Bradford City Centre gets more and more inaccessible. You can't even get into it. This week, the interchange has been shut for two days because yeah. of the bad weather, apparently. And is it still shut now? I think it reopened today. Did it reopen? Oh. And even so, there were not actually much bad weather before it shut, so obviously they must have noticed it late, so it can't have been that dangerous, although they must have obviously found a risk. But... Yes, Bradford seems to be falling to pieces at the moment. And people may leave Bradford for cheaper areas to live because council tax is going up by 5%. Yes, and it still looks like they might not balance the books. So if they can't balance the books, they may even ask the government if they can increase it by more than 5% in the future. So this may actually get increased more than that. So those people in Bradford who contribute are getting stiffed even more. What we need is... Adam Patterson on that council. But, but even so, I'd only be one yeah, we extra need, person. We need, we need lots of them. So we need lots of Conservatives in there. They were. We need change. It's poor. I'm really, really worried about this city now with things like this happening and no sign of any change on the horizon. This is the most worried about Bradford I have been in quite a long time, probably since I first came here after the riots. So here's hoping that we can make whatever little difference that we can in making Bradford a better place. But I reckon after these May elections, I ain't got as a prediction because I wanted to focus more on national stuff. But I reckon after these May elections, Labour will actually come back from more councillors and not less. I'm just glad most of Bradford Children's Services have been put in trust now, so I don't have to work for these bozos. Yeah, so fraud, investigation into GP patient registrations reveals potential earnings of nearly £1 billion from non-existent patients. 
the number of registered patients in England exceeds the country's population by almost 6 million. Well, I've been talking about this for a while. GP practices receive £164.64 per registered person, totaling approximately £955 million for these phantom patients. The investigation initially launched in 2018 was halted due to the COVID crisis and despite ongoing discrepancies, authorities have not resumed inquiries. The Taxpayers' Alliance criticises the public subsidiary for these errors, urging a revision of funding for GP practices. The Royal College of GPs attributes the issue to record-keeping challenges rather than intentional profiteering. The NHS emphasises the importance of regularly updating patient lists for accuracy. The NHS Counter-Fraud Authority acknowledges the initial investigations, interruption and a shift in priorities due to the pandemic, leaving the issue unaddressed. What do you make of this issue? I think the NHS are having a bit of a giggle there when they're trying to blame patients, saying, oh, they need to... Let us know so we can... Update. You mean they're blaming GP practices, are you? Because if somebody dies, then they should have a system that updates it all anyway. They're the NHS. Yes. They know when someone pops it and should go off the list. That is true, but it becomes a bit more complicated when someone moves house as well. I suppose so, but again, once someone applies to another GP, That's true. they should have a system in place that fixes that. And takes the other one off automatically, yeah. Can you imagine if schools ran like that and we had phantom children? <laughs> no, that would cost a lot of money. But the trouble is, I don't think there's nearly six million phantom patients. I think also we've got to remember, we don't know how many people have actually entered the country. We see that some mums... The data actually increases a lot more, such as after universities go back, when we see a large influx of international students. And we may see that in the next two months. In the next two months. Yeah, because a lot of international students actually come in January. That is true, but it's never as high as in like the October-November months. They are the highest months, but... Like I say, we might see a little bit, but yeah, it's not as much the biggest months of the October, November, but even so, you get peaks and troughs throughout the year, so really, I think a lot of it's down to migration, but yeah, there's definitely going to be, with the way the GPs are operating, some phantom patients, and like I say, it's hard to tell whether any of them are deliberately trying to profiteer from that, because they might just say, oh well, I didn't know. More inefficiency and opportunities for fraud yes so that's another failure of the country i think absolutely so is it going to get any better this year is the question it certainly is (laughs) i'm glad you think oh it certainly is the question or it's certainly going to get better that's a good (laughs) question isn't it adam and roger break the news proudly present Our 2024 predictions. So So you've got ten, I've got five, so should we do it in the same order as last time? So you do two and then I'll do one. Absolutely, yeah. Well, my first one is kind of three and one, just to complicate things. (laughs) But we'll alternate as we go along. I always start quite grim with these things. It's my death picks for the year. Three high-profile people who I think are most likely to sadly leave us this year. And I've gone for the broadcaster James Whale, who's one of my favourite radio presenters of all time. But sadly, he's got stage four kidney cancer. He was awarded an MBA, actually, for services to broadcasting, one of the few deserving recipients this year. My other prediction is Patricia Routledge, who was Hyacinth Bouquet in an old 90s sitcom called Keeping Up Appearances. And my third prediction is the writer of Game of Thrones, that series, George R. R. Martin, who I don't think he's ever going to finish those last two novels that people are waiting for. Right, I don't know if you're going to be right or wrong, because I don't know anything about those people, so I don't know how well or how unwell they are. 
Fair enough. I'll let you know next year, Adam. What's your first prediction? So inflation will fall below 3.9%, but will remain above the 2% target. Yeah, I think you're right to be optimistic there, Adam, actually. At the moment, things are looking good for inflation. Things are looking good in the US, and as the US goes, we usually follow. They are. So I think we're right to be optimistic well, there. The reason why I say I'll stay above the 2% target is because I do have some concerns. So I'm not all optimistic about this. I think the minimum wage rises, I think they're going to add to inflationary effects. When you increase the wages, obviously it has to add on costs to big companies, which means that they have to put the prices up. I also have another concern, which is the trouble in the Red Sea at the moment, which we've barely talked anything about, which Iran have launched a lot of attacks, are being responsible to attacks, which has closed down the shipping route. Now, that could have a massive impact in terms of shipments, like, for example, a lot of oil shipments use that Red Sea transport route, so that could have an effect on inflation. Like I said, not all oil shipments are shipped from there, but a large number of them are. But yes, I do have concerns regarding that. I don't know how that's going to pan out. So I'm going to predict that it's going to fall between 3.9% and 2%, but I'm not going to say exactly where, but I've made a much tighter prediction than what I did last year with stuff. But I think that's quite a good prediction, Adam, so best of luck with it. Thank you. I always make two predictions each year based on businesses. I think of a business that I would like to buy because I think it's going to do very well and a business that I'd like to sell because I think it's going to do really badly. (laughs) So the business that I would buy in 2024 is Greg's. The Bakers. Greg's are set to release more ranges of hot food and go even further into the delivery and restaurant business. And they're also set to release a range of yum-yums and donuts, mini stuff that you can dip. And I think in summer that is going to become a huge craze because people are going to want sweet treats that are are nice, but actually a lot smaller because then it's less calories. And I think Greg's are going to get that absolutely right and make a fortune. They're already a huge growing business and I think they're just going to get even bigger in 2024. Do you like a Greg's, Adam? Not a massive fan, but I know it's a very popular chain and I couldn't disagree with you, to be honest. I actually agree with your prediction there. I think you'll get that one right. And, yeah, I think Greg's does seem like a reasonable, stable company. It keeps the costs down compared to many other takeaways. So I think Greg's will do quite well. So I agree with you on that one. The business that I would sell, and I think this is pretty much a dead cert, actually, is Bradford Live. Although I would love for Bradford to have a really good and successful live venue, I think the converted Audion, that Bradford Council are turning into a miniature arena is not going to do very well because artists and their agents are going to see what a dump Bradford is, that it's bankrupt, that the city centre is inaccessible, that there's no decent parking and all of the big acts are going to go to the Peace Hall in Halifax or to the arenas in Leeds. They're going to continue to shun Bradford and Bradford Live is not going to be a big success, certainly not in its opening year. I agree. Do many people actually come into Bradford for a night out? Because I always hear people, like, I've heard people talk about, oh, I'll go to Halifax for my night out, I'll go to Bingley for my night out, I'll go to Leeds for my night out. I don't hear many people talk, I'm going to go for Bradford for my night out. When I went for a Christmas night out, a work to do in Bradford, I actually enjoyed it. It was much nicer than I thought. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder why. And then I realised part of the reason why was because it wasn't absolutely rammed. It was actually quite quiet. You could get into places. You didn't have to queue at the bars. And then I thought, well, hold on. Actually, there's something wrong with that. Because if it's the last Friday before Christmas, 
surely, you know, the bars and clubs should be absolutely rammed. If they're being successful and making money, they should be absolutely thriving on those days. But it's not because, no, you're right, Adam, people aren't going for nights out in Bradford. Yeah, you've got to also remember the students might have gone away as well for Christmas because obviously the university closes at that point so people go and see the families so you'll have less students. But as we've said, Adam, Bradford is one of <laughs> the youngest cities in the country. So whether the students are here or not, there should be plenty of young people wanting to go on a night out. Well, that's true. And yeah, I don't seem to see any evidence of that from what I saw as well. When I worked and spoken to people, apparently Tesco were much quieter than it were in previous years. But nationally, from what I saw, they'd actually increased sales. So I do think people are definitely shunning Bradford. And the promoters are going to see that and the big acts that the council are hoping for aren't going to come to Bradford Live. And it's such a shame. I feel like such a miserable git saying that. But But if there's not money to be made, if money's getting lost in Bradford, then why would they come here? (laughs) Absolutely. I almost hope I'm wrong there, but I doubt I will be. What have you got, Adam? So I've got that house prices and rent prices, I'm going to say this year, will both rise in 2024. Ooh, now, I remember hearing in an article somewhere that rents are probably going to rise, but house prices might fall. So I think you're going against the grain there. I am, but we've seen in recent months, house prices have started to go back on the rise again. So they've actually started to turn around. If the price of the gilts fall, the mortgage rates fall, then it makes buying a home easier. So I know there's still... Aye, but I think there might be some slight rises in house prices this year. And you're good at following the maths and data, Adam, so I've no reason to doubt you there. Thank you. Not saying I'll be right, but that's my prediction. I'm going to make that prediction firmly. House prices and rent prices will both rise in 2024. Let's see if you can beat the so-called experts there, Adam. I've got faith in you. Have you? (laughs) Yep. So my next two predictions are to do with our government and Rishi Sunak. And first of all, I was going to say up until this week that a general election was going to be held in May. But now I've changed my tune a little bit because of what Rishi said. I think a general election will be held in July because Rishi is a slippery git. And he has said there won't be one in the first half of this year. He said he thinks it's going to be in the second half of this year. So to make sure that he is right, he's going to just hold it as early as he possibly can while still being right. And that month to me seems to be July. Why do you think he's going to hold it as early as he possibly can? Because he's going to be under so much pressure for it. MPs are going to threaten to leave. There'll be start to be murmurs about thoughts of no confidence. If he doesn't hold an election before the summer months, then we can expect protests and riots all the way through the summer. Mm. I think he'd be a fool not to hold it before the summer. People um, are sick of him. Not sure if we'll see riots, but I do think that people want a general election. And what's your next prediction? Well, I predict that after that election, I'm not going to speculate on the extent of the defeat, but I think it will be massive. And it will be so massive that after the election, Rishi Sunak will spend the majority of his time abroad, even though he'll still be an MP, probably. I don't think he'll lose his seat and leadership of the party, although he'll probably resign as leader of the party. But I think he'll get out of Britain and spend as much time abroad hiding as much as he can because his heart isn't really with this country and I don't say that because of his race I say that because of his manner he, he just doesn't seem to have any love for he's Britain he's got money where he can go wherever he wants anyway hasn't he exactly yeah and my prediction is a bit more vague than yours I'm predicting that there'll be a general election in 2024 and this is two predictions in one year because I'm also going to predict that Labour will win with a small majority. A small majority, you say? Oh, I think it's going to be a landslide, mate. 
So you're saying that I'm going to get that one wrong. Partly wrong. But I think the general election in 2024 and a Labour win is locked in. Although Starmer didn't inspire me much with his speech this week. No, and I was reading an article and I was looking at some popularity ratings and this article was comparing them. Now, Keir Starmer, his popularity, even though they're a lot higher in the polls, his popularity as leader is lower what David Cameron's were in 2010 when it were a whole parliament and his popularity is also lower than Tony Blair's when he got a landslide. So there's evidence to suggest that maybe Keir Starmer's not winning support. It's just that the Conservatives are very, very disliked. And I do think that is absolutely correct. It's not that people like Labour, it's People want the Tories out. So this is why I see when a lot more Labour policies start being announced and when they do the campaigning, once the election's been announced, people start seeing the way the media show their policies and they might start thinking, hang on a minute, I can't vote for that, I don't like that. And when they don't like Keir Starmer either, then some of those voters that have gone from Conservatives to Labour might end up going back to the Conservatives. And that's the reason why I predict that they'll only win with a small majority. That's what disappoints me about Starmer, because he does have a very strong and hopeful rhetoric. But when I was listening to his speech, what I wanted to hear was some ideas for how is he going to solve problems like what we have in Bradford. And I've heard nothing about that from him. Not not a sausage. So hopefully this will all come out in the debates. Yes, and I think the debates will really make Keir Starmer look quite a bit of a fool because the journalists will be viewing both Keir Starmer and Richie Sunak so they'll want to find out the policies from both of them because it's whoever gets elected. And I think when they realise that Keir Starmer can't answer a lot of questions, people might start to look at that and think, well, what's Keir Starmer got to hide? And I'm really looking forward to those debates and watching and covering them here. Yes, and so am I, but you think obviously there's going to be a landslide here. Maybe not as big as Tony Blair, but a very, very strong win all the same. Probably bigger than Johnson's majority was. Fair enough. So you're predicting quite a big majority. Well, I predict a small one. We'll have to see who's right. But well, you haven't made that prediction, but I mean, yeah, I'll have to see if I'm right or not. <laughs> one factor that may alter things is my next prediction which is, I think Nigel Farage will re-enter British politics. And I think he's going to have much more of a role. I think right now he is biding his time. He knows he's got popularity on his side. He's playing it very safe at GB News right now, keeping his head down. I've noticed his show's been very vanilla this last week or two since he came back from the jungle. And I think it's because either for reform or the Conservatives... He's planning on making a move. Oh, I'm not sure about that. All I noticed is Joe's, he started promoting reform a bit, so maybe he is starting to think about going to reform. And I do wonder if it's going to be as an MP or an advisor or a spokesman, he's going to be in amongst it when we do have that general election. Well, I can't disagree with you there. I think he's going to play a big influence, let's put it that way, but I don't think Reform will do very well. And my next prediction, although it's a lot more woolly than your economic prediction was, Adam, is that I think it will be generally an economically prosperous year. So, like you said, with inflation rates will be manageable. I think interest rates won't do anything too drastic. I don't think we'll see any significant crashes or anything. It's going to be a stable and economically successful year. Can't disagree with you there. Good old. And my next prediction is that crime will continue to worsen. Unfortunately, I think the police have lost control of our streets in Britain and we see them not solving many burglaries. We see shoplifting out of control. I think crime will continue to worsen. Sadly, again, I can't disagree with that, Adam. Even though it will become economically more prosperous, I think we'll still have as much crime as ever. Yeah, because the police have lost control over it. Yeah, but police aren't being given the training or budgets that we've said over and over again on this podcast that we need, especially not here in Bradford. Yeah, and when I do find that one, I'm probably going to have to do a bit of research to see whether I've got that one right or not, looking at statistics. 
But I think in general, that's quite a reasonable prediction there. Yes. So I've got one for health now, and that is that over 2 million people in the UK, so that's about 3% of the population, will be prescribed some sort of weight loss drug in 2024. Weight loss drugs have become massive in the US. I think it's something like over 30 million people in the US are on a drug called Ozempic. And the only thing that has stopped them getting big in the UK is our NHS and availability. There's been a very big shortage of weight loss drugs in the UK, but people are going to become more aware of them, more desperate to get them. Supplies will improve, and I think it's going to become less uncommon for people to be on some sort of weight loss drug next year. I completely agree with you, actually, because they've only come out this year, but they are proving to be very popular. I've heard of a few side effects, but like with most stuff, I think they're very few. So I think they're going to become very popular as well, and I think they're going to have positive effects and hopefully solve our nation's obesity crisis. Not saying it'll all happen in one year, but I think, yeah, things are looking up in terms of weight loss. Well, like a fool, I'm trying to lose weight in this new year by the old-fashioned way, by dieting. I've completed my first successful week of the 5-2 diet. Fortunately, on that diet, I can eat whatever I like for five days, so I can enjoy the chocolate bar you got me for Christmas, Adam. (laughs) Thank you. And you've got to remember, all this weight loss drug does is it stops you from feeling hunger. So it stops you from, yeah, wanting more food. So that's how it makes people lose weight. Which can actually be quite dangerous because humans have evolved an appetite for a reason. Yes, but overeating is very dangerous because you put on weight. It is, but it's always undereating. But I do know that overeating is the far bigger problem at the moment. I agree. My penultimate prediction is relating to the migration crisis. And I've decided not to say much about the numbers of migrants and things or how the government are going to tackle it. But what I do think is there will be a significant number of fires or attacks on migrant accommodations across the UK because in the last couple of weeks we've seen a lot of attacks on migrant accommodations and fires over in Ireland. I think a child was stabbed there. We covered it on the podcast. We've we? seen lots over the last few years actually in Ireland, but they've never taken off in the UK. No. I'm about to tell you why. Well, I do think it is going to grow. What do you think? I disagree with you. The reason it's grown so much in Ireland is because they have different laws to us in the UK and the laws in Ireland don't actually allow people to express more freedom of expression, whether that's hatred against race, religion, gender. So people feel much more freedom to do what they want there, whereas people are much more frightened in the UK. They know they'll get locked up. And that's the reason why they're not doing it in the UK. So you think that will be enough of a deterrent? Yes, and I think it'll continue to be. I think there'll be a lot more attacks still in Ireland, but I don't think there'll be many in the UK. Not saying there won't be any, but I don't think there'll be many. Well, I've gone for a significant number, so that means like more than a couple there. We can judge that one next year. That's going to be tricky to judge because not everything gets reported by the mainstream media. Yeah, I'll do them the best I can. We'll see. Yeah, and I'll look out for them as well. So I think we've both got one final prediction up our sleeves, haven't we, Adam? So what's your last one? So my last one is that net migration to the UK will fall, but will remain high historically. So like last year, you've kind of predicted about migration, but that's quite a positive outlook. Still historically, isn't it? Well, I mean, positive if you see migration as a bad thing. The reason why I think it's going to fall is because the tougher legislation on universities, that's coming to force this year. So I think because of that tougher legislation, I think net migration will be lower than last year. And Rishi will want an excuse to be able to say that he's solve the problem won't it that is true as well and so far this year when i looked earlier we hadn't actually seen any small boats cross the english channel this year so in terms of illegal migration it definitely seems to be going okay at the moment well it is january and well, i'm not making a prediction on illegal migration i'm just making a prediction on net migration in general i know the biggest contributor to that is legal migration And it is January and we're about to probably get some really cold weather this month. So that might keep it low for the start of the year. We'll see. Although if we've got high pressure in charge, 
The winds will be light, making it safer to cross the English Channel. I know what Rishi will be hoping for. Yeah. So my final prediction, yeah, I've decided to be brave and I'm going to say it. Two words. President Trump. What do you think, Adam? That is a good question. I don't follow US politics very much, but I think Joe Biden's increasingly unpopular. Whether they allow Trump to stand again is another question as well. I think if they allow Trump to stand again, I think I can agree with you on that. That's very much in US news at the moment because some states are trying to ban him. And That's what I mean, and that's why I said whether they allow him to stand. If, he, if he's not able to stand, then he's not going to be able to win it, is he? I'm not brave enough to say here on the podcast if Trump being president is a good or bad thing, but I certainly think it's an interesting thing. (laughs) Certainly, it brings a lot of news when he was president. Oh boy, did we see some crazy stuff, and I'm bracing myself. I think we're going to get another four years of crazy from America. Yeah, and there was actually some speculation that they might actually choose to hold the UK general election just after the US elections. I'm wondering whether the Conservatives think that it might bring some hype and get people to vote for them. Possibly. Maybe Rishi's hoping for a Trump victory. Yeah, they might get a Conservative victory because they're both centre-right parties, although the Republicans are much more right-wing than the Conservatives. Rishi's always been a bit of a globalist shill, though, and I know that the people who own America definitely don't want Donald Trump to win, so I I don't know what result Rishi would be hoping for. I think Rich sees himself as a bit of a populist. He's a great talker, and so is Donald Trump, so he's probably thinking if Donald Trump can get a victory in the US, then he might get one straight after. They're both businessmen. They'd probably get on famously, wouldn't they? Yeah, so that might be what he's hoping for. So that could be why he might be thinking about an election in the second half of the year. But then obviously that'll mean your prediction will be wrong for July. But what is more horrifying, though, is thinking who would be president if not Trump. The idea of Biden being president again for four years is truly terrifying. And what about a different Republican? But who would it be? I but, have no idea. And this is it. Maybe anyone is better than Trump or Biden. Do you ever have anyone better than Trump or Biden, do you think? <laughs> Roll the dice and see what we get. Just pick a random person. <laughs> we um, don't want someone like Putin in charge or someone like Amos in charge. I know we wouldn't, but rolling the dice it does seem a little bit dangerous to me. It does. But when Biden and Trump are your two best options, that is very, very alarming. And it just shows how messed up and how extreme the politics are over there right now. But so they're that extreme over here because I remember when the Conservatives had the leadership contest, you had either Liz Truss or Richard Sunak, even though yeah. they were both in the same party, they were both criticising each other. Absolutely. So it's going to be a crazy year, a brilliant year, and I'm really looking forward to another year breaking news with you, Adam. Yeah, and I was hearing on GB News that I think there's a lot of the world that's having election years this year, and they reckon there might be quite some conflict from it. So, yeah, we'll have to see what this brings. Personally, this year's going to bring a lot of change for me. As I've said, I'm simplifying my life, but this podcast, as far as I'm concerned, is definitely going to remain part of it, and I'm Really looking forward to another 2024 breaking news here on Red Circle and chatting with you, Adam. So thank you very much. Yeah, and this election is probably going to be very, very interesting. I'm sure we'll love to cover it here, although I might also have to do quite a lot of campaigning if there's an election, which there will be, I guess. So yeah, probably going to be pressured to do quite a bit of campaigning and help them out a lot. So a very exciting year for the news and for both of us personally. Yeah, do you fancy doing any campaigning for any party if there's an election? Although you're probably trying to simplify your life, not get involved with more stuff. Absolutely, but maybe ask me in 20 or so weeks, once I've had a rest and I'm done with dieting and it. I know you probably won't be campaigning for Labour or Conservatives, you'd probably be going for someone like Reform if you did one, wouldn't you? If I found out there was going to be a protest in Bradford City Centre against the council right now, calling for Sue Hinchcliffe to resign, I would go down there and do it. I really would, yeah, that's how strongly I feel about Mm. this right now. So I'm keeping an eye out for anything like that. Yes, maybe you might decide to get into politics this year then. 
I don't know. I have, got, I have got a lot of other stuff. But yeah, you've got too much on to get into politics as well. But whatever any of you are doing in 2024, one of the things that Adam and I would love is for you to email us at breakthenewspod at gmail.com. Come on, over a year now we've been banging on about this. Get us emails. Is it over a year? Is it two or three years now? Yeah, well over a year then we've been asking for emails. I think we're coming up to the third year. I remember us covering the May elections in 2021 and we're now in 2024 so come on be the first or at the very least you can't like this podcast can you but you know share it and subscribe to it because we do have regular subscribers i know that so thank you if you are one of those regular subscribers and recommend the podcast to other people spread the word whatever we can do to grow this thing a little more would be absolutely awesome definitely so thank you for doing this podcast with me this evening take care Shout out with your family and friends. We will be back again next week, hopefully again. In a bit. Chase. I ain't somebody who stays in one place, ready to go, I'm coming to play, you better know I still got something to say, it's a new dawn, it's a new day, some things are different but nothing has changed, still got my number, still got my name, tell everybody I'm